Hey everyone, welcome back to This Is Not About Your Body. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland. And uh, I was thinking recently, because I had a kind of funny and kind of horrifying conversation uh, with a client about the, the memories that we both have of reading Cosmopolitan articles that are basically like instructions on how to have body image issues. So I am 35 Uh, almost 36. So there is a very particular uh, age range that I think will connect to this. If you are older or younger than this, you might not have shared this experience. But basically, the thing to read when we were uh, people my age, I guess, uh, were younger was like cosmopolitan. You know, I would I was really into things like Vogue and um, you know, Marie Claire or whatever as well. But the the sort of coveted best magazine when I was uh, particularly in high school was Cosmo for sure. And the thing is, none of this was allowed. I wasn't allowed to read any of this. My mom very reasonably kind of, uh, you know, figured out what this was all about and was like, no, thank you. My kid doesn't need that kind of stuff in their head. So um, I wasn't allowed to read it, but I read it anyway. And then I would say I went on to read it for a really long time through my 20s. Um, even when I had found a certain amount of body neutrality and I understood the importance of pushing back against that kind of culture, I still really enjoyed these magazines. And part of it, I think, is like I really loved the clothes and the fashion and sort of style stuff. Like I really enjoyed seeing um you know, and this was something in Vogue too, right? Like I, I enjoyed seeing like beautiful pictures of beautiful clothing and sort of seeing what the trends were because as far as I'm concerned, fashion is basically like sports. You know, you you have to watch every season. Like there's, it, it's constantly ongoing. If you like kind of fall out of it, you have to learn everything new because everything has changed. It's this um, really alive creature, you know? And since I grew up as a girl, nobody encouraged me to watch sports and I, I had no connection to sports whatsoever. I connected to fashion. So I, I loved these magazines for the the fashion kind of ideas and tips. I considered myself very stylish, although not necessarily fashionable, just I like to express myself through clothes. I still do. Um, so I, I enjoyed seeing all the different sort of options season by season, you know, silhouettes would change and <laughs> the different things would come and go in style. And I just really liked that. I liked being a part of what felt like um, kind of an ongoing uh yeah, I don't know what else to call it other than a creature. It really felt alive to me. Um, anyway, I I loved that. And I also really liked in Cosmo, they would do things that were like, you know, personal stories from people like us, right? So it would be like, this girl writes this essay because she had this horrifyingly embarrassing experience where, you know, she went to like hook up with a guy for the first time and then she got her period and so she bled all over his bed. And it's like, you know, things like that. I didn't have any access anywhere else to, to sort of see and connect to that kind of thing. And it was eh, sex positive-ish, you know, I mean, Ultimately, a story like that would have been framed as like the worst humiliation on earth. But um, yeah, n nothing like what we would call sex positive now. But at least it was something, right? Like at the time, it was sex positive compared to basically every other message uh, that we got from media. So it felt to me, you know, it felt sort of resonant and good in that way, too. It was like, yeah, like women can enjoy having sex. That's very cool. Um, and anyway, so the the appeal was very, very strong. Also, you have to remember, like, we didn't have social media. If you're younger than me, I am sure that, like, 
TikTok and Instagram, you know, social media hits those same notes in many ways. It's a place where you can connect to other people your age going through stuff that is relevant to you. Um, it is a place where you can like learn, you can be entertained and also, um, yeah, you can sort of keep your finger on the pulse of some, some feeling of like belonging, which I definitely got. Like if I read Cosmo every month, I felt like I was a part of something. You know, I'm like me and all the other women across the country who are reading this magazine all now know like that Jennifer Aniston wants babies but can't have them with her husband or whatever. Like, you know, whatever stupid thing it was, I know that it, I, I even knew at the time that it, a lot of it was like completely irrelevant, but it still made me feel a part of something. Now, the thing it made me feel a part of without me ever totally recognizing it, because I think on a conscious level, I would have said like, yeah, maybe this is sort of drivel, but I still bought in, in part because I wanted to belong in that space and because it was uh, such a rare opportunity to belong in that space. And when I was in high school, I didn't know a lot of other people like me. You know, I didn't know people who wanted to move to the city. I didn't know people who cared about fashion. I didn't know people who, in my mind anyway, like were sort of chic and cool. Um, not that I was chic or cool, I wasn't, but in, in my heart, I wanted to be, you know, and I didn't see other people who like cared about that stuff. So I totally felt connected to a piece of myself through these magazines that I wasn't getting in the rest of my life. And without social media, it was like the only way to get it. So it's this sort of like little gem that said a lot, a lot of Cosmo was basically just instructions on how to self-objectify instructions on how to be sexy and attractive to men, instructions on how to be desirable, like in terms of even personality, things like that, you know, like how to keep him from running away or how to keep him, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even think of the most ridiculous sounding titles. I, I, I would love some time to go back through and look at old magazines, you know, and just really like cut the headlines and share them because holy cow, they were ridiculous. It was all about like, uh, okay, so gender essentialism, right? It's like this idea that men are men and they all act a certain way because that's how men are and women are women and they all act a certain way because that's how women are. So it was very much that. It would be like, you know how men get sleepy and fall asleep after sex? Here's how you can get them to cuddle you. And it would just be like these weird tips on how to like be sexy enough or how to play to his ego enough that he would give you what you want. So what I learned from all of that was not only how very, 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 very important it was to be sexy to men, to be attractive to men, and to always, always think about how I look to men, my God. I also learned like, I can't get my needs met by men because they don't want to meet them. So my only real recourse is gonna be to kind of manipulate them into giving it to me. So like, there was no article on just ask for what you want. I freaking hope, I think this magazine's still around. I freaking hope they've gotten better by now because like at the time, do you know how life altering it would have been for an article to just be like how to communicate, like how to communicate your needs, how to advocate for your needs in a partnership? Holy cow. But no, it was never like that. It was like, he's not going to want to because men are this like totally foreign concept of a creature. They're like another species practically and you can't understand them and they don't want to hang out with you. They just want to have sex with you and then go to sleep. So here's how you get them to give you little crumbs of what you want. You use a cute little voice and you say things like, babe, I really love it when you snuggle me after 
Actually, you know what? Even that example that I just came up with was far too practical. It was much less practical like than that. It would be like, you know, you you sort of coyly, uh, like while playing with his genitals or something, say, hey, if I do this for you, you know, maybe we could cuddle after or whatever. Like it was it was manipulative. And so I learned to be manipulative with men. Like I learned that there was absolutely no way that I could just ask for what I wanted. I had to earn it or sort of secretly get it by being cute enough or sexy enough or like good enough, you know? And that's what I learned was that I am not good enough on my own. I have to do all this extra labor. I learned that I, um, mostly my value to men is, is sex and my body and my appearance. And that a little bit of my value to men is like my emotional labor because, you know, and, and like stroking his ego. That was a big thing. Like play to his ego. You're so good at cuddling, you know, that kind of thing where you kind of end up being like all all men must want in the world then is sex and flattery. And like maybe they do, but I'm sure they got these messages everywhere, too. Right. Like. I mean, they want more than that. I know that now, but like I'm saying perhaps the men that I was dating at the time did sort of just want sex and flattery because the world had taught them as well that that's what they're supposed to want. And if the world taught all women basically to do this, it kind of makes sense that that would just be what they come to expect, right? And that sucks for men too. I know this now as a grown adult, like if you offer a man these things, he will very likely take them and still feel sort of hollow, you know, because it's not that fulfilling. It's not really connective. And we humans are all humans. We all want real connection. So it's a very inauthentic way of connecting with someone, especially a partner. And it doesn't do anyone any actual service because men are humans, even though they, you know, we were sort of fed this line that they're like these totally different species who want nothing that we want that we are always going to be at odds with them like we want connection and cuddling and they want sex and I don't know dinner cooked for them like we learned that but it's just not true the things I learned from Cosmo that stuck with me for so long were all about how to uh, sort of manipulate men into thinking I was more attractive and to liking me and to meet my needs all of this is the most self-objectifying BS on the entire planet, by the way. Um, but like literally it would say how to keep him from thinking you're disgusting during sex, basically. I don't think it ever probably use that language, but it would be like, don't let him see an unflattering angle using these three tips. Suck your belly in, arch your back and, uh, you know, always distract him. Something like that. Or it would be like how to, uh, you know, be attractive at a Super Bowl game. And it would be like, wear this type of item, sit this particular kind of way, make his favorite treats and, uh, you know, always cheer when he cheers. So it was like it, it just boiled us as humans down into nothing but like man meat <laughs> you know like bait for men basically like how to manipulate men into into biting into choosing us it was fishing it was manipulative it was I mean looking back it was just horrible but I learned how to be hyper vigilant because of it I learned how to always make my face flattering always sit and stand and move in flattering ways and flattering by the way this is just another word here for attractive to men 
Um, but like how to dress flattering, how to be flattering, like how to, uh, how to always hold myself in a way that's alluring. Ooh, alluring was a big word. You know, during, uh, during foreplay, like how do you be alluring? Mm, flutter your eyelashes or look down because men like a little bit of subservience or like, um, be sure to wear flattering lingerie and then uh, play up your assets. You know, if you have a small waist, make sure he sees it. If you have like cellulite, make sure he doesn't see it. It was all the most like just objectifying. I mean, that's really the only word it can be. It's objectifying ourselves. It taught us how to be hyper vigilant about our bodies, our appearance and everything because we weren't whole people. Cosmo was like, you just don't really matter. What you think, what you feel, what you need, it only matters insofar as you can sort of use that to guide the way you manipulate them. You're not an equal with them. And even though it was this sort of empowering and I don't know that it would be feminist exactly, but it was like sex in the city, you know, women out there getting theirs. Like it did feel like it had a little bit of a feminist vibe at the time. It was basically just women telling other women, you are nothing but a treat for a man. And... You are so uninteresting to men. You're so unworthy in their eyes of being considered an equal and having equal needs and feelings and, um, you know, everything in a relationship with them that they expect that kind of care, uh, that you have to, you have to fight for it. You have to manipulate for it. You have to exchange and transaction for it. It's just so unbelievably damaging. And I feel like a lot of, um, femme folks my age, like, just got destroyed by it and the, the wild thing I don't actually know who owned or owns Cosmo but I do know that the editors and the writers were mostly women so the wild thing to me is like all this time I was thinking yes I'm doing what men want I'm learning what men like and want it was just women making up stuff that they thought men liked and wanted and then passing it on to other women who were like oh okay this is what men like and want there were no men involved in the writing of any of that stuff like men did not teach me to objectify myself as much as women did, at least in this one particular way. It was so instructional. You know, men taught me to objectify myself by objectifying me. Cosmo <laughs> or women, I should say, you know, uh, they taught me to objectify myself by literally teaching me how to objectify myself. And that combo is potent. Holy cow, did I struggle to climb out of the self-objectifying <laughs> trap that that I was forced into you know so anyway if you are around my age group and you read this kinds of articles you probably are like you totally know what I'm talking about if you're older or younger and you don't I'm sure that you have some version of like instructional self-objectification in your generation and in your life and memories because it is everywhere right like it wasn't like Cosmo invented this Cosmo just kind of continued a trend that had been there for a long time. I am sure that the Cosmo that I read was like, you know, uh, just a decade or whatever after magazines were saying like, here's how to, you know, be a good housewife or whatever. Like, here's how to cook your man dinner in a way that is sort of suitably domestic and attractive because what men want is a wife and a mother. I don't know. Um, but like by the time I got to it, this just happened to be the trend was how to be attractive and sexy and how to manipulate them to get what you want because they sure as heck are not going to want what you want. And it is a constant battle. I mean, God, the messages this just sends about relationships, communication, gender, sex, it's horrible. 
but it didn't make it up. It was just a part of a tradition of sexism under patriarchy. And I'm sure that there is stuff that is just as damaging now on social media. I don't know what it is because I don't particularly have any desire to like dip a toe back into that world, but I am sure it exists. Even sort of makeup tutorials I wonder about. Like I think that if I had grown up now, I would have loved makeup tutorials just because, you know, they're shiny and colorful and kind of fun. But like I I don't know exactly if it sends this message in an explicit way because I think a lot of makeup tutorials are done by really creative people. You know, they're basically artists who are doing sort of beautiful, interesting things with their art. But there is always this underlying assumption if you think about like the contouring that is done, the 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 very um, kind of hyper glam lashes and uh, overlining of the lips. There's all these things that are being done that are like, you know, they are trendy, but they're also about fixing your face. I, I don't know if people talk about it that way because like when I read articles, it would be like how to hide thin lips or how to, and of course we didn't have any products that were actually very good at the time. So it was like how to hide thin lips, like overline it and then use Vaseline just in the center and then a touch of glitter in like the Cupid's bow. And that was like your trick. It didn't do much. I tried every makeup trick that Cosmo gave me and most of them were garbage and didn't work because we just didn't have actually sort of effective solutions to these supposed problems. But now we do. Now we have like incredibly designed high quality makeup products. And so you can kind of do anything to your face, but what does that say? What is the message there? Are they saying how to fix your your weak ass lips just by being like, here's how to make thick, juicy lips? Or is it more empowered and less about you're not good enough? I don't know. I don't know what the message is now. But I do know that the fact that every single makeup artist on the planet knows how to contour the heck out of their face tells me, oh, we're supposed to have a certain kind of face. You know, there's like the before and afters and it's like you look like just a normal human with like round cheeks and, uh, you know, some acne here and there and like normal human eyelashes. And then you do this big glam transition. And by the end, you look, you know, like you're extremely low body fat because you look hollow in the cheekbones. And, you know, you've sort of contoured all these different things into making your face look like a totally different shape. And, you know, you've got like the the fake lashes that are an inch and a half long and uh, and everybody likes it. I mean, it's trendy. It's People like it. But are they saying that? I mean, at this point, it's not about like trying to look natural, obviously. I think maybe that's the difference is Cosmo was like, here's how to lie to men. Here's how to, how to fake having a certain kind of face. And I don't think that's true anymore. So it makes me wonder, is that better or is that worse? Like men know if you're wearing makeup, in this hyper glam modern way. There's no denying it. Everybody knows you're wearing makeup and you're not trying to hide it. So is that kind of empowering where it's like, oh, I'm not trying to just convince you that my face is different like I was taught to do. I literally was taught that like if they can tell you're wearing makeup, you kind of did it wrong. Or like, you know, some things like eyeshadow was okay, but a lot of it was about like faking, you know, thick lips, rosy cheeks, um, long lashes. It was all about being very, very subtle about it so that he couldn't tell. Because what you wanted was to make him think you were just naturally gorgeous. And now it's like, I don't know, everybody knows you are wearing makeup. And uh, yes, there is this like extreme change to the shape of your face, but also you're not you're not taught to lie about it. You know, you're not taught to be like, oh, me, this barefaced uh, look that I've got going on. 
Again, I don't know. I'm sure some people lie about it. But anyway, I just, I wonder because so much of that Cosmo world that I grew up with was about lying. It was about hiding and and tricking people into thinking certain things. And I really feel like I had that mindset for so long. Like I sucked in my belly, not because I just thought it was flattering, but because I wanted people to think I had a really flat belly naturally. It wasn't in any way something that I could ever drop in a moment because it would give up the ghost you know it would like the ruse would be found out if I ever just relaxed my belly and people were like oh is that like how you normally look that would ruin the whole illusion I was taught to a lose <laughs> that's not a word I was taught to I was taught to to be an illusion of attractiveness that that was not only just like normal but sort of required and I was also taught that every other woman was out there doing this so if I didn't I was gonna like miss out on all the men so it, it just planted the seed of like so much anxiety and competition and sort of paranoia. Honestly, it was like people are going to find out that I've been faking my thick lips with Vaseline and a little bit of shimmer. Oh, my God. What if they find out the whole thing will blow up in my face and all the other women who did it better or are more naturally beautiful are going to get all the men and I end up alone, abandoned and worthless. Like it made it all feel so dire. And the funny thing is I learned later on, like most other women aren't doing this. Many, sure, self-objectifiers like myself, of course they are, but a lot are not. So the fact that I was like competing with all women everywhere and they weren't competing with me is kind of hilarious. Like I look back and I'm like, man, I was like focusing so much energy and attention into being a competitive um I don't know what you would call that, but it's like I really saw us as competitors for this male attention that was so scarce because they didn't want to give it to us. And uh, yeah, that's just not true. <laughs> that's just not true. So anyway, um, I think that's everything that I wanted to kind of cover. If you resonate with this, cool. If you don't, I'm so curious. Like hit me up, DM me on Instagram. You can find me at Jesse Neeland um, because I would love to hear what your generation's Cosmo was, you know, like what you learned and from where about how to objectify yourself, how to think of yourself through the eyes of men, how to only, uh, you know, imagine your body as a sort of vessel of hotness for other people to enjoy rather than something for you to enjoy. Because like, especially when it comes to sex and pleasure, it was all about his sex and pleasure. You know, it was like when he's ready, you jump in. Basically, when he's hard, it doesn't really matter if you're wet, if you're roused, none of that matters. Um, what matters is that he's ready and you don't want to disappoint him. And then here's how to give him pleasure. Learn all these fancy, fabulous techniques. You know, put an ice cube in your mouth. That was a very common one. Uh, give him a little treat <laughs> with an ice cube. Uh, I've tried it. I tried it in high school. I thought I was very cool. Um, I honestly don't remember what the results were, but I can look back and say it's a little cringy. Um, yeah, but like they had all these things like, uh, like weird little techniques we were supposed to try to keep him happy because apparently most men, I don't know, are at high risk of being disappointed by the kind of sex they have. So we had to learn and teach ourselves how to give them pleasure. Now, mind you, no man at the time was learning how to give us pleasure. I did not know a single man looking up <laughs> magazines or articles or tricks or tips or whatever on how to like turn a woman on or get her to feel pleasure or get her to come. And if they did, it was 
absolute nonsense written by men who didn't know how to do those things. Just like ours was written by women who, I don't know what kind of sex they were having, but I have to imagine it was mostly self-objectifier sex that was focused on his pleasure. And then, by the way, with this purely heteronormative script around sex, once he came, we were all done. Everything is done. Sex finishes when he finishes. Why? Because sex is really only for him. You know, it was like we're allowed to enjoy it, but there was really no talk about like our pleasure, our turn on. It would say like how to get him to do certain things to turn you on. But again, they were all very, very unimportant in the big scheme of things. Like get him to lick you everywhere by suggesting such and such and flattering his ego. Like, okay, <laughs> but him licking me everywhere might not be in any way what I want. And also like there was no conversation really about how to like mentally and emotionally feel safe enough to feel any pleasure at all. And frankly, because of all the focus on him and this feeling like he's going to be disappointed if I don't do everything right, most self-objectifiers, I don't think, really feel much pleasure at all during sex. They might feel the pleasure of like validation, like, yeah, I'm doing a good job. I know I felt that pleasure a lot. I was like, yes, I am succeeding at being what he wants right now. I am giving him what he wants and that feels good. So I would have said I enjoyed sex for sure. But I look back and I'm like, I didn't enjoy sex for me. I didn't have pleasure of my own. I certainly didn't have orgasm. I just felt good because I was doing what Cosmo told me I had to do. It felt successful. I was being a good sexual object. And that's what they taught me I was supposed to do. <sighs> okay, well, <laughs> if you resonate with that, I'm really sorry. It's sort of a dark and depressing thing once you really get into it. Um, the conversation that I had about these articles was hilarious and connective because we all shared this sort of experience. If you read Cosmo and objectified yourself and learned through these channels, like you probably know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's really lovely, I think, to be able to connect on these things now. But it's also important that we acknowledge how dark that is and how dark that still can be. You know, women are still learning to objectify themselves both through being objectified by men and actually just being taught often by other women, how to objectify themselves. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. I do have um, brand new merch on my website, jessineal.com. If you want to rep my brand or support my business, if you want to have cool conversations with people because you're wearing a t-shirt that says body neutral AF, uh, like it, whatever brings you over there, check out my shop page. Um, I think that the designs are awesome and I would love if you wanted to support me and or just rock some cool looking designs. Um, you can find that at jessienealand.com on my shop page. So thank you so much for listening and I will be back next week and I hope you're good till then.